Meet Krup Parachi uh, Kale, the mastermind behind Think Design Cyber, a company helping cybersecurity professionals become business leaders. Combining her 17 years of experience in cybersecurity, business strategy, diversity and inclusion, and executive coaching, Prachi helps introverted techies <laughs> navigate the CEO and the boardroom, translating their work and shining amongst their peers without compromising who they are. Get ready to learn from the best as we dive into Prachi's entrepreneurial journey. Navigating the ups and downs of growing a business in the ever-evolving world of cybersecurity. Indeed. Raji, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sabir. So, um, I, I, I deal with superheroes all the time, right? Yes. And, and yeah. those are my guests on the show, and we've had almost 100 of them, right? So, what's your superhero story? So, if you could share your background and how yeah. you got into the field of uh, cybersecurity. Um, I'll answer the, the, the second part first. I was very intrigued with cybersecurity when I was 16. I'd grabbed my um, hands on an ethical hacking book, which at the time when you're 16 growing up in India, you really don't have a lot of freedom to go anywhere. So the idea of getting into people's homes and computers, just sitting at my, in my, you know, on my bed was absolutely um, appealing to me. And so that was my first foray. So I learned all of that. Uh, and eventually, a few months later, I realized, oh, shoot, if I can get in here, people with malintent can really make, you know, um, can really wreak havoc about this. And so that's sort of when I appreciated sort of how bad this can get. Um, and th since then, I've been and I'm a nerd, too. So, you know, I've always been a little bit of a techie and a science geek. So I really liked the idea of you know, keeping learning about it, uh, about cybersecurity in general. So that was when I was 16. That was multiple years ago. As you see, I've had now 17 years of work experience. Um, and so fast forward, all of the different areas that I've worked in, um, you know, cybersecurity technology, executive coaching, diversity, inclusion, business strategy has been extremely important in my growth as well. Um, combining all of that and bringing it to cybersecurity uh, was a tremendous joy, uh, uphill battle to some extent, but it's been really an interesting experience. So I actually wrote an article about Wonder Woman uh, and cybersecurity. <laughs> so if I were to pick my, my you know, uh, superhero or heroine, it would be Wonder Woman. And I like her journey of how she discovers who she is as she goes on, right? There's a little bit of brashness in the beginning. I can take over the world. And as she grows throughout the film, you see how she comes about and she understands her purpose, how she's contributing, um, you know, and there's love and there's loss along the way. So so I think I think that's a journey I definitely resonate with. Since Elon Musk has taken over the Iron Man character, you know, yes. I, and most people call me Batman. So that's <laughs> what uh, really most people call me Batman. Gary V calls me Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Yoda's good. Yoda's good, definitely. Batman too, you're in the Gotham City, so you're fine. <laughs> yeah, but I, I personally like Yoda. I, I relate to him. Yeah. I, I really like I you know, sharing the wisdom and sharing yes. you know, and, and being thoughtful and insightful. Yes. That's better for me than yes. uh, fighting people and, and yeah. with gadgets, you know. So that's not that's definitely not me. Yes, Yoda is uh, the voice you want in your head. Yeah, they, uh, there are voices there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to talk about that on this show right now. No. So. <laughs> I mean, I in your bio, I I read mm -hmm. read out the, um, the think design and cyber yes. right. Yes. How did that idea come about, and what services does your company offer? I think you went through a journey there to get to yes. get to this point. Yeah, think design cyber has really come across. You know, as I started combining my experience, say, what can I pick from all the experiences I've done? One a I realized, holy cow, you know, my process of of you know my career process ended up through a process of elimination. And, you know, if you see all these four areas on the surface seem very disconnected, right? But in, in essence for cybersecurity, somehow they start, the pieces started falling in place. Business strategy, you learn a lot about innovation, right? Growing your company. That's where the design thinking piece came in from. So the word design is really derived from design thinking. And the think is really around the people aspect, right? The mindset, the process of change. How do you grow, right? Everything we learn about as we are becoming entrepreneurs as well, right? Um, fixed to growth mindset, things like that. So, and in cybersecurity, a big item that's missing is systems thinking, critical thinking, and design thinking. 
So this was my creative brain saying, okay, think is part of the place where we talk about the people change, which is extremely important. And design is really around design thinking that has brought innovation to so many other fields, right? Everything from what we're doing on our streaming channel right now to the phone, to all these different technological advancement, and especially industrial grade, right? Think about assembly lines, um, think about large scale airport construction, things like that, right? So all of that was born out of some grant, uh, some level of design thinking, people thought outside the box. Um, and after we won our article, which was, titled Cybersecurity Endgame. This was during the year of COVID. We'd written it the year before. And when I say we, I mean uh, my sweetheart and my partner in this endeavor, uh, Brian Barnier, he's a co-founder as well. Um, that was my one manifestation um, wish come true was being able to work with my partner on something great and we're equal parts nerd there. <laughs> so we wrote this article. It won the article of the year award. And we were like, wow, this is oh, great. Congratulations. Something. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so that was the part one. And that sort of, you know, all of these things putting together, we whiteboarded some stuff. And um, I came up with a creative name saying, let's put thinking people together, systems thinking, design thinking. Let's design some new outcomes and, you know, some new impact in the cybersecurity space. And that's where the word cyber came from. So that's how it's called, Think Design Cyber. And uh, what we're doing now um, over the last couple of months, because of the feedback we've gotten around the introverts and the interest we're going to launch a thing design cyber leaders hub, you know, focusing specifically on the leadership and the people aspect of growing people in cybersecurity. So uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit of a uh, kind of a personal story with you uh, related to the field. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a question related to mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, because I think my audience knows how old I am. I'm, I'm 50, right? So mm -hmm. a few years ago, I graduated from college mm -hmm. and the degree I, I got was uh, a computer science degree. Mm -hmm. uh, a BA in computer science. Mm -hmm. When we started with the first course in college, uh, in that first course, uh, a one-on-one course, uh, you had multiple sections and each was given in a lecture hall, 250 yeah. students, you know, big number, gigantic number. So you had a thousand students in there, right? Wow. In that, for that mm -hmm. one one-on-one class. Uh, Queens College is where I came out of, you know, mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's quite a lot, right? Then yeah. you go from 101 to 103 class, which is the mm -hmm. second class in, in the sequence. That 1,000 goes down to maybe two sections, and it's 25 each, and it's 50 people. Right? Oh, wow. There's a yeah. morning section and a night section. Wow. And computer science is a hard field to get into. It is. Right? It is. Yeah. Um, by the time after 103 was over, when uh, in the sophomore year, we went to 201 class, which is the oh, second wow. year class that you yeah. go to. It's one class, one section, mm -hmm. and it's like 20 people in, in there. The funnel is like, whew. Yeah. It, it just goes down very quickly. Mm -hmm. And and the, what's the makeup of that of that 20 people? Those 20 students in my in my classes, I got to know them because they, that was the group that I'm going to be knowing them going through yeah. that degree program. Most of them would be the same, you know? So out of those 20, I would say that 17 15 or 17 would be men, boys, mm -hmm. and uh, three to five would be women. Mm -hmm. We go from 201 to yes. 203 or 205, yes. it gets down to 10 people. Yes. <laughs> you know? And then out of those 10 people, I mean, I'm, I'm, let me uh, put some context into it. This was many years ago, right? Yes. Uh, yes. This is before even internet was commercialized. So that, right. that's how long ago I'm talking about. Yeah. Out of those 10 people, you had uh, maybe eight eight guys and two women. So some more women fall, yeah. fell out of the yeah. class. Yeah. By the time you got to the 30 or 301 level class, um, the class was maybe eight people. There's one or two women, two women and there are maybe five. So my next question by sharing mm -hmm. that story with you is what is, why is it so important uh, to have diversity and inclusion? <laughs> yeah. This is a long way of asking this question. Uh, Very good story, 20, though. Yeah. In 2023, because I personally experienced it. I, I personally experienced it. Yes. And yes. I believe that I know that since then, a lot has happened, and, and yeah. especially in the United States with the STEM yes. program and stuff like yes. that. Yes. A lot of that kind of stuff has happened. But I don't know, having a program versus actually encouraging uh, women to be part of yes. technology is two very yes. different things. You yes, know? absolutely. Yeah. So from your POV, especially with diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. uh, in the cybersecurity world, what what are your thoughts? 
So first and foremost, right, people think diversity and inclusion is an effort. So what I'm going to preface it is diversity is a thing. It just exists, right? Even if I was with five other women, there is still diversity. Five other women from my exact background, there is still diversity, right? So there is an intersection when we talk about diversity and what that really means. It's about our intersection, me as a woman, me as an Indian woman, me as an Indian woman staying in the US, right? And lots of other dimensions that I may have out of my personal journey, out of my genetic attributes, all those things, right? So when we say diversity, it exists no matter what group it is. It's just the slice of diversity you're starting to look at. So, so people think it's a diversity is a thing we have to create. No, it's not. It exists. It's about harnessing that. And the inclusion aspect is, okay, I'm in this group today. Do I feel like I belong here? Do I feel like I'm a part of this conversation? Do I feel like I'm a part of this effort? So for me, that's what diversity and inclusion means, right? Equity is everybody feeling like they have an equal access, right? So it's, it's so for it, there's a really nice picture somewhere that's been floating around on the internet. I don't know if you've seen it, but, um, you know, giving a bicycle to everybody, right, is access so that they can, let's say, ride across the city, so city bikes but making bikes different according to different people's needs. So able-bodied people and people who don't have, you know, who have um, special needs in terms of drive, you know, so that is true equity saying, I need what I, you know, I have what I require for my, um, you know, for my needs. So, so that is true equity. So that's what I define it as. Now, Similar to your story, that was pretty much my journey, right? I did my undergrad in IT in India. Everybody sort of goes through that. So that that divide, you know, is is almost 50-50 going through college. There's a lot of women who graduate. Now, when I came to the U.S. and I started working, um, I've never worked in India. I've only worked in the U.S. When I started working, um, <laughs> I was a woman in technology, woman who was a technologist who was serving financial industry clients. So that's another male-dominated industry. And then I ended up in cybersecurity. So for me, it was like a triple it's even further down. <laughs> oh, totally. Tell me about it. And the amount of times I would walk into a room full of men and suddenly I have actually said it once. And I said, there is some serious diversity issue in this, you know, gender diversity issue in this room. And they all burst out laughing because they suddenly realized it because I called it out. Um, so, so those, you know, experiences are there. Um, I've been very lucky in that sense that, you know, there have, I have had supporters and mentors throughout male, female, you know, all, all gender identities alike. Um, and so speaking of cybersecurity, I think you and I laid it out pretty much and, and that's the same percentage right now. It's anywhere from 25% to, I think 40% is like a very nice uh, number, depending on, again, which survey, where you look at it. There's a 2019 survey by a really good cybersecurity organization called ISC Squared. They're a global um, organization. For them, it was less than 30% globally. Different levels again, right? What happens specifically, just you know, speaking of gender, um, it's not just the education academic piece, right? It's also when women start to enter into the workforce. McKinsey's been doing some really good study over the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. um, as women start to, so the funnel there is, is, is like this way, right? Sideways. There's a lot of women entering, and then there's something called a broken rung. At the very first step, that first manager breakthrough role is where it's the hardest time, in at least in the U.S. corporate workforce, right? And then as you start going into the C-suite, then it blends again. Now, when you put in the, the, the cut of race or any other dimension in there, then those slices again slim down, right? So... Um, gender, ethnicity, race, all those different dimensions. So for women, it's it's a little bit of a twofold, right? Coming in, pipeline to begin with is there. Then there's these impediments in career itself around the growth aspect. So part of it is how do we remove those impediments to help people from a gender perspective, but also other dimensions, right? Because those experiences, although individual, are still shared amongst, you know, all different groups, right? You would have had your own experience coming as a person, you know, who wasn't originally, who was, you know, from another place, not originally in the, from the U.S. Oh, I, I had my challenges. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And it's gotten better over time, but it's also not fully done yet. So, you know, people have felt different levels of, of, of problems there. And so that's what makes me very excited about including the diversity aspect as I'm starting to talk about introverts. So that's another inclusion on one side, right? So now it doesn't matter what gender, ethnicity, race, you know, all those different dimensions you come in. 
now you're you're pretty much being separated as introvert versus extrovert. And I call those affinity groups, right? Things that we people gravitate towards each other because of some affinity they share. And in and in the corporate workplace, the introvert and extrovert bias uh, bias for extroverts and then introverts feeling sort of left out or underserved is also quite rampant and, and that has not been tapped quite a bit. So so there's all those aspects that we can lo- start looking at it and something when I did my, my I've been, I'm still on my secondment at my full-time job, but that's something was I learned very nicely and that was something I, I took away from my job being immersed in that role and knowing what it takes behind the scenes to um, to help advance the groups. And the biggest, the biggest um, contribution, you know, the diversity makes, right? Obviously, there's studies out there that shows it affects the bottom line, right? But besides that, just think about the collective intelligence that you can bring. So one of the things I also work on is developing diverse, high-performing teams. How do you take an existing team and really evolve it into a diverse, high-performing team where people are actually, you know, leveraging their unique intersectionality and bringing together and becoming a diverse high-performing team. And that's a journey in and of itself, right? And so that's also something that we work on at Think Design Cyber. So I completely forgot the first question, so I'll quickly recap. <laughs> okay. what, what I'm, the, to... yeah, I'm so passionate about the topic, I started talking, but... No, that's fine. Um, Rachi, um, yeah. Yeah. what do you think about... Because um, you, you, you actually sparked an idea in my head. How yeah, much of please. it is cultural conditioning that's why I chose uh, the gender, no the gender gender role right because yes. that's the first yes. break yes besides then within the gender uh, mm-hmm. Caucasian female versus African American female yes. brown female yes. Asian female that's that's a very much even that that's even because the thing is the numbers in my in you my graduating see. computer science class I didn't care if it was any woman I cared about there was a woman you know? yeah. Yeah. And in our final graduation, uh, the, the 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 group that actually graduated, yeah. there were only five people. Yes. Four guys, one girl, one woman. That's it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was the group. Because yeah. and but the reason I'm asking you that is how much of it is cultural uh, conditioning where where we are conditioned at the very young age that oh the boys are engineers and doctors and stuff yes. and, and and women are nurses maybe doctors but into marketing it's not engineering is never a, a question for them and mathematics is not a thing for them yes. it's more like yeah. art yes you know because a lot of those biases come in even through language even from your parents when they All say the something like that it All conditions you oh yes. this is why i you failed that first class science project or whatever you believe that what your mom or dad told you or your uncle or aunt told you that's true maybe yeah. it is genetic maybe it's in my dna not to pass this thing which is completely not true no, it isn't. And and you're so true. It is it is largely cultural conditioning. It's your family, it's the society, as well as media, right? The conditioning is at many different levels. And let's take gender, for example. Me growing up in India, um, if you look at it, the amount of engineers and doctors that are, I mean, that's just, you either have engineers, doctors, lawyers, right? That are pretty much the, the top three professions or respected professions, right? And I grew up under that kind of pressure. And so that's very rampant. Scores are rampant. It's performance driven. So that's the one thing. And then this, this almost a conundrum, right? For in school, it's like performance, 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 get your marks, get your schools. And then suddenly you're in that 16, 17, 18 years of age and you start hearing about, you got to get married, you got to have kids, you know, have them at a certain age or um, even at work. And, and on the one side, it's like, yeah, you were taught to be nice or obedient and stuff like that, right? Many different cultures share these kind of, you know, conditioning between men and women, men about emoting, right? And it's not to say it's just women. Men have been conditioned many different ways as well, right? And so those same contributing factors. And then you come into a corporate workplace where suddenly it's like, you've got to market yourself. You've got to talk about yourself, right? Or don't appear too nice. Or, um, you know, it becomes a dog eat dog world. So there's all these concepts and templates and stories that have that have framed and inform who we are right it's our points of view it's the it's the judgments that people have offered it's and it's the conclusions we've come about ourselves all subconscious about what we can do what we cannot do what we should do what we should not do right and what we're supposed to do and suddenly it becomes this like mind-boggling situation to be to say okay who am i and like what am i supposed to show up as and what is good and bad right um, so 100% cultural conditioning is a big aspect of it. And when I'm working with clients, in fact, 
when you have mixed cultures, um, so this woman is a Caribbean Indian woman, but with, I want to say, an African-American mom. I forget what the which side, but it was a mix, right? So her lineage has been predominantly Indian, married into, you know, the local Caribbean family there. And mm -hmm. both cultures now have, you know, have affected who she is and how she's showing up at work. And, and frankly, some of that contradicts, and it really is a process. And on the other side... Um, men here, right, are conditioned around not expressing your emotion, being macho, right? Some of the some of the different um, communities. I mean, it's it's white as well as Latino, different levels, different degrees, and that distills into family and how crazy our families can be about um, making sure we adhere to those cultural conditioning. So, um, but how much, it, so Prachi, how much of it is now the other side of it? How much it is? Now you got to workplace, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're entering as a, as a junior cybersecurity specialist, right? Yes. Now you are getting into that field because you have the paperwork, certificate, yeah. diploma, whatever. Yep. You aced the class and you got an incredible number. You are a you're yeah. a uh, Indian um, cybersecurity woman, right? Yeah. Professional. Yeah. Uh, you go in there. How much of the other side of it being systematic exclusion now? Yes. Now you're in a corporate yeah. setting. Um, you versus uh, a Caucasian male, you know, yeah. maybe that person does not even have as much qualifications as you do. Right. And you are more qualified for that. And yeah. then there's a systematic exclusion because of that. Um, there is, I, I won't be able to put a thing, you know, like an exact percentage because every organization is different. Yes, there is a systematic um, exclusion that happens. Right. And part of it is like you said, the word exactly the biases, right. You automatically associate saying, Oh, she's an Indian woman. And then we and then what happens is very quickly our brains, because of the way they're wired, very quickly based on that bias, you make assumptions about this person saying she may not be career oriented or she may not be, you know, um she just got married and she's gonna have enough. a kid. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And it may yeah. it won't be said out loud, right? Because then that's it will be just assumed. It's assumed when some some of those things, and then the woman in and of itself, right? Taught to be soft spoken, taught to be um, you know. Or if she is too outspoken, then she's aggressive or, you know, pardon my French, B-I-T-C-H, right? Those are labels. So it's either you're too good or you're too bad, right? And so that sort of notion starts to happen. And different ethnic groups have their, you know, come across their own biases. Yeah. And then the systemically are some people at a greater advantage? Yes, because that's the network that exists there, right? Now, if you have two or three of people, we know more, right? And if they are more inclusive, then you've got a foot in the door. The other aspect of that is um, because we are sort of newer into the workforce coming from, you know, a more diverse background, right? Navigating that, that um, what I call is in-between competencies, because in, in many different companies, they're like, oh, you've got to climb this leadership competency ladder to show that you're becoming a leader, you're growing. I call them in-between competencies because navigating that system also, right? Understanding when you're truly being held back. Versus something that might be totally unintentional that a person is, you know, just biased and not even realizing they're doing it. Um, that discretion is a learned behavior. And it's sad that we have to carry it, but at some level you have to learn it. Um, and then on the on the other side, when a lot of, you know, in the last two, three years, things happen, people made a proactive effort to learn about the, the experiences of people who didn't look or, you know, didn't have the same life as them. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a two-part effort, but definitely there is systemic issues there. Yeah. So going back to you made a comment about introverts and extroverts earlier, yes. right? So yes. another another personal story, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Gary V and I are. It's known that him and I work together, right? Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. would be in a meeting with clients, uh, and uh, for thirty minutes. In those thirty minutes, for twenty minutes or fifteen minutes, Gary V would talk. Right? He's, mm -hmm. he's an amazing speaker, uh, motivational as well as very intelligent yeah. about marketing, yeah. social, and all sorts of things like that. I would be in the same room, but I'm just consuming all of the conversation yeah. that's happening and I'm yeah. evaluating in addition yeah. to my own deeper evaluation of what, what I want to say and meaningful. And in the final 10 minutes, I might talk about something meaningful. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just talk just because I like to hear my own voice. Yeah, I would like for it to be impactful and, and for it to be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying one is wrong or the other one is right. That's not the yeah. case. It's, it's just yeah. different, you know. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to cybersecurity, 
like when, when I think about cybersecurity, uh, it kind of reminds me of all sorts of like hacking type uh, Hollywood movies yes. and where it shows you green, a black screen with green fonts and each letter is this big for, for whatever reason. It has, yes, to, yes. it has to look big. That's an extrovert in my opinion versus mm. the guy who's just sitting there with a hoodie on and he's just sitting there quietly and just doing his business. And and somehow the extrovert fails or whatever. And then the introvert says, OK, I took care of it. You know, doesn't even oh. say a, a, a single thing. In that process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, I'm not saying I mean, in, in different fields, I felt that, you know, extroverts and introverts can win. Totally. But you need to create an environment where both need to be heard. One should not overpower the other one. Yes. And, and shut the other yes. person off because sometimes yes. with the introverts when if they felt feel like they are getting uh shut down mm -hmm. or not listened to they just shut down completely yes right which is bad because yeah. the yes. introverts could their thoughts could be a lot more insightful than than the loud mouth in the room you know absolutely absolutely and you know i'll as you gave a personal example i'm actually i really discovered in the last couple of years since covid i'm actually more introvert than i am extrovert but i was and I, i'm sort of ambivert is where i kind of landed but i was forced to become an extrovert which i didn't realize until i went into that introspection you know zone um was in in my childhood like you said cultural conditioning right i was the oldest kid and um every time we had guests over at our home so you got to go serve them give them beverages tea talk to them you know my brother and sister could get away with that. I couldn't. I had to show up, right? And and it was almost like, nope, you got to develop your social skills, blah, 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 blah. I got, I became really good at it. But then I realized I love my alone time, right? Even in a relationship, some days it's like, I just want to go out and walk into, you know, around New York City or sit in Central Park and just soak it up or read a book and not talk to anybody, right? Just don't call me, don't text me, nothing. And uh, and and it it is true. And in cybersecurity, what happens is, or in, in, in any other field, right? Cybersecurity is just more concentration of introverts there. Ideally, across the population is 50-50 almost. Um, so to your point, because extroverts are trained to talk, again, it's not intentional. Sometimes it's just like they just know how to blurt it out. Certain universities in, and um, even here in the U.S., they reward you for being able to be verbally expressive, right? So again, that's conditioning, make it educational system, whatever else. Those are self-concepts too. To your point, absolutely, it's not right and wrong. So what I tell people, and you know, you talked about CEO and boardroom, I actually call it charming the room. How do I teach introverts how to charm the room? Um, so, um, so part of it is how do I use my introversion, right? What are my strengths as an introvert? What what typically happens is the word introvert is automatically biased to a negative connotation. So you automatically feel you're at a disadvantage saying, okay, this extrovert is going to take in, you know, take up the entire conversation, or I'm going to have to find my way in, or, you know, they're just going to say something that is totally useless, right? Well, what's happened here is you've already walked in with a point of view, you've already walked in with a judgment, and you've already walked in with a conclusion about how that interaction is going to go. So when I'm working with people, Part of it is, okay, what are all the strengths you have as an introvert, right? Like you said, introspection, you have some really good insights. And believing that that can be used as a good leadership, you know, you can develop into a good leader um, as an introvert. So in cybersecurity as well, if introverts are high, and now that they've been elevated to this board level where they have to talk strategy, they have to be, you know, negotiating things, influencing stakeholders, that is a skill they need to learn to be like, how can I do this without changing my personality? Because then you're just faking it, right? And it's not, it doesn't work in the long run because then you feel like that's a slippery slope down to burnout and just all sorts of other things. Um, so from an introversion standpoint, there are studies out there that say an introverted leader is actually a complement to a team of extroverts and vice versa, an extrovert leader can again, you've, it's a trained thing, can be really helpful to introverts in helping drawing out those ideas, creating the safe space for expression to happen. And if it's a mixed crowd, this is the part about, you know, as we cover in the diverse high performing team is from an introvert extrovert slice, are you giving everybody equal opportunity to express themselves and contribute? And it's a very intentional process, making sure everybody's thoughts. I do talk, I did a talk for Purdue University a couple of months ago. And, um, 
people in the room were all extroverts. People all online were introverts. Most questions came from <laughs> online and not in the room because some people are afraid of public speaking as well. So it's very fascinating to me. Public speaking is pretty rampant across introverts or extroverts. It's a, it, it's a very fascinating thing when you start to work with people, especially from that angle. And that's why I picked that. It wasn't so much about gender diversity or one, because you can't really separate that, right? Because there's such an intersection of so many other things. But the introversion, extroversion um, is, is very fascinating to me. And I have met so many introverts now. Every other person I'm meeting is like, yeah, I'm an introvert. You work with introverts? What do you do? <laughs> Tell me more. And uh, so it's super exciting. But but um, yeah, there are nuances there. To your point, you know, if you were working with me, we would find a way where you would be in that 30 minute conversation. Even if you spoke for one minute, you would feel like you made your mark without all this dialoguing that's going on in your head because that's draining. You know, I think with extroverts, you just need to think aloud versus an introvert. Yes. They're, they're, yes. they're being more yes. thoughtful and it's more inside. The voice is more inside than outside. Yes. You know? 100%. Well, one, yeah. one thing that I, you kind of reminded me of, of Monday mornings in corporate America, right? When I used to well, go into the office that and is thanks to COVID, yeah. nobody does that anymore or mm -hmm. not many people do it anymore. Monday morning meeting, you're sitting around before the meeting would start and you're shooting uh, some kind of socialization minute about yes. how was yes. your weekend yes to i don't me, care <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hear it yeah why Very is that true. important right but the yeah. extrovert among amongst us they call like oh yeah i went to this thing there was this club and uh, uh, there was a concert and blah 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 and this and that and that and that i didn't do anything i slept i i enjoyed my time off i did yeah. not do anything and that wasn't yeah. i don't have to go out and do all those things you know True. But then you have to be comfortable saying you slept and own it. That's part of the yeah. thing that we think that what they're doing is more cool than what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. If I slept, my, my sister is a movie director in Bollywood. I mean, one of her movies she just worked on is on Amazon Prime. It's fantastic. She's an introvert, but then she runs a set with a thousand people. At me, right. And then she's wow. screaming her head off. But then she is very clear about her alone time and the days she's shooting, much like, you know, your own schedule. It's a packed 16, 18 hours, you know, days of, of um, shooting you know, outside in a studio, all those things. Um, she is a diehard introvert. I mean, she was here last summer. Um, we went to a picnic at our sailing club here in Connecticut and I had her put her name badge on and she said, does this mean I have to talk to people today? <laughs> you know, so my best friend is an introvert. Same thing. She works for a bank. Um, same situation. But I think it's it's understanding how you are wired and being OK with that and not automatic our own self bias that it's there's a negative connotation because I slept. That's less than someone who went maybe skydiving over the weekend. Yeah. Right. So it's it's that. It's a little bit, it's a lot of those self-concepts. And I, I gave a talk for entrepreneurs recently. We covered the whole gamut of how do extroverts think, and rightfully so. They, some of them think out loud. Some of them don't. Um, so, yeah. So you went through this journey, right? And, and I can yes. tell you that I, I, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, right? Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. know a lot of them. I work with them. I've been working with them for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I call it deep scars on your back, right? Yes. <laughs> you learn yes. from every experience when you are, you know, when when you're in a corporate America or you're in a corporate setting, right? Yes. There's a lot of facilities available to you that you mm -hmm. don't realize they are just there. Like HR is there, you know. Your mm -hmm. role ta is taken care of. You know, uh, if if uh, you need to make an appointment, uh, there you go. There's an admin or some something like that. Yes. That you can, make, you can pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. You have an IT issue, something wrong with your laptop magically gets fixed, right? Because mm -hmm. there's those facilities. That's what I mean by facilities, resources, yeah. people, uh, yeah. and other things like that. But when you go through that journey yourself where none of those systems exist, right? Everybody has pretty deep scars that they came through and yes. through their learning. How, how has been your experience, you know, besides doing all this great work you're doing? Right mm -hmm. within, within the cybersecurity world, and fighting your own demons and challenges related yes. to giving birth to this child called, you know, think design. Yes, oh, yes. Um, it, it wasn't all doom and gloom. I have to say that, right? We were pretty excited about the article and the award and such. But um, the good part was 
for me, the one thing, like you said, the demons um, or other challenges was um, Brian and I partnering, right? That was the first year we had got together and it was, and I was going through this whole manifest, I want to manifest relationship stage. And then suddenly he came in my life and then boom, five, six months later, we were official and boom, in the same year, we started writing this paper and, and, and I was like, wait a minute. So like, you know, so just re that realization was exciting. And then was the part about, okay, now I want to work with him. How do we make this work? So that was the first sort of learning experience. And then it was interesting. I went, I was swimming one day as we started doing this process. And it was as if something held me back in the pool, right? There's nothing in the pool, you're in the water. And something like grabbed me in the back, speaking about demons. And it was just like, you can't do this. It was just my entire body resisted the idea of moving into this entrepreneurial space. And that's when things were I was like, what is going on here? And then so fear of visibility, fear of failure, fear of what outcomes, right? And I mean, I've, I came to the US when I was 21 and I've, I've done pretty well in my corporate career. Um, but that sort of self-belief, that self, you know, didn't fully translate over. Instead, it what it did was literally excavate or exhume all those demons that I had buried years ago. And uh, I had to address them as we were doing it, you know, and and um, it was gut wrenching because it became so raw, especially because I was working with Brian. So now this is somebody I'm in a relationship year one. We started living together. COVID happened. Now we're starting to think about thing design cyber. I'm, I haven't quite sussed him out yet. You know, my sister is here. So all these things are going on. But I really wanted to also make it work. And just finding that balance was so hard. And. I started to show up as who I really was, right? Those are the parts you don't want to show someone in your first year also. And he's been very forgiving. I mean, he himself was going through the same process. I mean, although he works, for, he worked for himself besides that. But again, partnering with someone at this level was a, um, was a whole new journey, which I think is now a very overused word, but it really was a journey. Um, and, um, so that was one. And then personally that fear of visibility was huge because coming, growing up in India, I grew up in, you know, caste system framework. And so we, you know, our family comes from one of the lowest castes. And so putting myself out there meant, oh, if I get known for my work, then people will find out. And then there will be all this judgment mm. and there will be all, you know, so those things, like we said, we carry with us. But when it's when you're truly becoming an entrepreneur, you're your own brand, right? I coach people on personal branding. That for me was I had to practice what I was preaching, right? Getting over that. That was a huge one for me, the fear of visibility. Um, not for the lack of skill, not for the lack of the inability to speak, not for the lack of, you know, how am I going to look? Nothing like that. But it was purely coming out of that fear, the social conditioning about, hey, you are in certain hierarchy. You should not be. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Exactly. Your and, mind tells you stay in your lane. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Thing? You don't belong there. You don't belong there. And because and then because. From that, you can never overcome it. Even if mm. economically you get to a certain stage, you never lose the label. So if you got the best one, you're great. If you got the, you know, you lucked out on the lowest one, um, you know, you don't, right? And it sticks with you. So you'll always be, you know, hey, Prachi, from this, you know, you're this person who over. So then that becomes your identity and your story. And I didn't want that ever. That was the reason I came to the U.S., to not have to identify with that, right? And then suddenly that became a true possibility that as people dig up on my background, where I come from, blah, blah, blah. And then that was a big one that I had to overcome. And it took several but months. How much, so Prachi, I, I, I go through the, a similar kind of a mm -hmm. situation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I realized over the years, um, this is not true about me 25, yes. 30 years ago, right? Because yes. I had not matured at that time. Yeah. Right now I have matured enough to know that there are, certain things that you your mind takes the thing and even though it's a tiny tiny minute thing blows it up out of proportion and says totally. oh my god this is a crisis you know totally. and it's all in your mind and it's not it's not because of your framework of who you yes. are yes it just turns it into this your mind does this to you a trick on you you know yes versus yes. the reality of the situation no one cares <laughs> yes no one yeah. cares especially yeah. in the united states no one cares Exactly. I don't know about India. I don't know about yeah. India. I don't want to overspeak and you know go over bounds here. Yes. yes. I don't know about India. I don't know about yeah. the fact that maybe there is a caste system that says if you are X Y Z caste, 
you, how dare you talk to anyone uh, you know in, in corporate you can't be manager you can't be not quite like that no no but but there is yes you carry this in your head absolutely absolutely yeah so yeah um you start this journey and now i want to get to some specifics let's go mm -hmm. through let's go through a case study of a client that had mm -hmm. success you know with the work that you had done with them so if you could take us before and after of yeah. what that study was that would be great Yes. So this is a um, female client. I'll give you two examples, quick ones. So one female client, um, you know, Caribbean, um, Caribbean Indian uh, going for a deputy CISO role. So CISO is a chief information security officer role um, and had tremendous record of performance. Right. You know, awesome budget management, tremendous um, record around security management, all those things. Um, but the feedback she kept getting for that her first sort of you know, the C C level role, even if it was a deputy CISO was, you're not ready, you're not kind of, you know, presence, gravitas, kind of the same language that women generally get, right? Executive presence is a big one, which is actually no definite. What does that even mean, right? Um, uh, a blue and so, suit and you have to be six foot two. So if you're five foot one, five foot one woman yeah. or men, you know, you're not executive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just like, you know, oh, gravitas. Okay. So like, so anyway, so yeah, so she was getting all those feedback with a tremendous track record. And then in some, and she was, you know, to some extent soft spoken, right. She wasn't out loud and loud, right. She was also an introvert. And, um, and, she, and I commend her for getting to where she was when she came to me, that was a problem. And she really wanted to get to this role. And she had about a year and a half window because that's how much sort of like the promotion cycles go is in the financial services industry also. Um, and so in working with her, A, we discovered, you know, the soft spokenness, cultural conditioning. Why she, you know, why is she thinking? And I think if she was, how would she talk if she didn't have any of that? And so it was a very different tempo and tone that she, she adopted. The other thing we noticed was um, some bias, yes, but it was her people telling her she wasn't ready was because a she was talking to the wrong stakeholders right so in in sort of gender diversity a big common uh, term is sponsorship right you have mentors you have advisors you have you know all these people coaches even sponsor is a person who speaks for you when you're not in the room right it's your pr person when you're not there she didn't really have a bunch of those right and she did not know the promotion process and who the key decision makers were, right? Because once you start, so at every level, the game changes, right? When you're sort of in that level where up until your manager has an influence and say, that's okay. But when you really start getting into those executive level roles or senior leadership roles, the game really changes and you really have to be very intentional about it. And the networking was a big issue for her being a net, you know, and she's like, this is shallow. You know, she's a techie person, right? She knows how to fix stuff. She knows how to do this really well, show numbers, show statistics. Um, but really having to get her into that place where she could charm the room and still be respected as a woman, right? Giving the speaking, the business strategy language, tying cybersecurity outcomes to business strategy. That were all the things we worked on, figured out who her key stakeholders were, getting her sponsors. So this was a, a long eight, six, eight month process. Happy to report um, after that as of, I want to say the last cycle, she is now a deputy CISO. So that was a very, very wow. cool um thing to overcome and in much like the entrepreneurial journey a lot of hers was the inner demons that she had to to overcome to go get into that action mode right getting over my work should speak itself which a lot of us do actually the non you know people who are immigrants here um so that was number one the number two i also excited about was a male client in the uk um this was um in the healthcare industry in customer relations and um this person was very non-confrontational now being you know, white male, non-confrontational, did not like to, um, you know, to get into conflict. And ironically, I don't know how he ended up in customer relations, but he's like a, a good senior level manager. But when it came to tough situation, he would freeze, right? And so he would, in speaking directly with clients, he would acquiesce to whatever their demands were. And sometimes clients can be very unreasonable, you know, you know, the, you know, the drill. And so for him, it was getting harder and harder. And, and so in working with him, work through the same issues, what is going on, cultural conditioning, um, saying yes was a way um, his dad was showing up in the family, right? But also this thing about you cannot, you know, 
holding your emotions in stuff like that was also another one he's also an introvert so getting to that level was a big one for him and so being able to express himself in as few words as possible making sure you're getting your point across again that work was six months it wasn't a you know a, a more maybe four ish six months was kind of like how we dragged it out with you know, time off and stuff, but four-ish months, um, that was really good. And he got promoted to the next level as well. Um, that was the one thing that was tripping him up around clients. And he was able to actually offload a long-term client who was a basic pain in their rear as a company, uh, all the long-standing, not that big a size of business that he would bring in, but they had held on to him, but it was a, he was the one who ended up offloading that client of his. So um, those two were my big wins last year. Amazing. Which I, I was personally very happy about. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've been in, in the IT world for a, a mm -hmm. long while. Right now, yeah. it's more more focused on e-commerce specifically. And that's what I have specialized in over the yeah. past. Uh, and growing businesses, not just the tech side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the cybersecurity world, I would say that there are so many threats that happen yes. on, a, on a pretty regular basis. Like the yes. usual ones, especially related to e-commerce, has to do with uh, credit card uh, file getting yes. stolen, customer files yeah. with private information, yeah. data loss, uh, yeah. data loss type things, you know, theft, data theft yeah. and stuff, uh, dark web, stealing and credit card yeah. files and selling it and stuff like that. And even it happened to one of the largest credit bureaus a couple of years ago. Yes. Right. So that those are the kind of things that I know about that happens mm -hmm. in my world. And then you hear mm -hmm. on the news, you know, I don't want to mm -hmm. say any specific media channel uh, because yeah. I don't want Leaders, you know. <laughs> there are there yeah, are yeah, um, yeah. very recently that one of those uh headlines that we heard was uh uh you know uh you know ha cyber hacking of a um of a power plant for example yes right? so yes. there are things like that that are happening and on top of it i believe even though it may or may not have happened i, I believe that ai could be used also in a negative way too totally uh, in the cyber security totally. world where you not sitting uh, it's it's not your i forgot the name of the tv series uh, i mr robot i think with with that yeah with the hoodie on sitting there hacking it yeah. doesn't have to be a person you could have mm -hmm. uh intelligent ai bots that are doing that for you 100 so there's bot arms out there that are doing that yeah where are those threats in your opinion and challenges in the cybersecurity world today in in 2023 that yeah. we should be aware of, like especially this show is being watched by entrepreneurs, founders, and yes. and other people who are responsible for businesses. You know, what yeah. advice do you have for them? You know, from, yeah. from what they should be looking out for, and and how can they remedy some of those things? Yeah, the the one thing I will say the 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 extent of threats pretty much, or the the breadth of threats are pretty much you know a few categories right now how they play out in a you know a large company versus a small company right and like you said there are nation threats out there and then there are people who are true you know um what is it called bad actors right and then there are these teenagers who are trying to i i, I put them in these like two three personas Right now, people who are intent on causing harm are constantly constantly scanning for vulnerabilities right so large company or small, that's their entry point. Now, what they do once they get into your environment is totally your responsibility. And this is where a lot of the companies um, sort of fumble over, right? Um, most of it in the large corporation is called cyber hygiene. Do you have your, you know, things in place? Do you have your right technologies in place? Are they updated? Are you doing a patching on time? Blah, 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 blah. All those things translate at a smaller level for, you know, smaller, medium-sized businesses, right? Especially e-commerce and things like that. If you have a store, you're providing coaching services, right? If you're a solopreneur, if you have a decent-sized team, those things also apply to us, right? Now, with cybersecurity, what's happened is become a way to do fraud. Like you said, you get hold of my files. The, point, the cybersecurity aspect of it is you get into my environment, you get access to my most important data, and now you can walk out with it. Right. So there is a concept of zero trust in the corporate environment that is out there. It, you know, it's part of Biden's executive order last year or a couple of years ago, um, which is a strategy saying, you know, it's zero trust associated with any interaction. So presidential motorcade example, at any point, you should know what you're protecting, what are your most important um, pieces. And then you should be monitoring at that sort of 
level to say what is going in and out into my my environment, right? Monitoring that for sure. So if someone comes into your environment, how do they even like, or let me simplify this. Someone gets to your house, if they're able to break through your main gate, right? They're coming into your backyard and how do they get access to your house? That kind of thing. Um, so thinking in, in layers like that. Um, same applies from an e-commerce standpoint for a small scale thing. Ransomware is a big one. You hear that all the time. One interesting thing I'd point out about news is, um, and this is a pretty known example in Australia, I forget the name of the company that lost um, their data recently. Um, the PR team of the company said, oh, it was a very sophisticated cyber attack. And the minister goes in the next, you know, some other, other uh, press conference, she said, no, it wasn't. That's the thing people don't understand. There is so much focus on threats and attacks, which is, like you said, a heist movie, right? You could, this is what we teach in design thinking. Go look at Ocean's Eleven. The very first one with Sinatra was done in the 80s. George Clooney's came much later. That thought process is what your actor is using. He's thinking ahead of you. So what we're teaching is outthinking your adversaries. So just tying that back to what I was saying, um, People think it's a very sophisticated attack because of the way they got into your system. But once they get in, how they move around is pretty, you know, it's like one, two, three, four, five. If you go do root cause analysis on some of those um, events, you'll start to see it's a very similar pattern. Um, so it's truly up to us to a, understand. And sometimes it gets complicated, but there are a lot of good services out there that you can use, especially for small and medium-sized businesses. Larger one, you need a much more larger scale things. There's regulations involved. There's all these other overheads that you have to take care of. Um, so ransomware is there. I mean, the, the, you already talked about digital to physical, right? If they can get to my power grid and wreak havoc, um, you know, IOT is a big one. All of us are connected tremendously, right? Do you need all the webcams and Alexa's? All the webcams, everything, right? And dark web, obviously, you know, make sure your simple things is make sure your camera is, um, you know, covered when you're not there and stuff like that. So those are simple things that you can do. Um, a big one that we pretty much give away our data all the time, which is related to privacy, but also cybersecurity, like, you know, giving up your information in every apps. I actually tend not to save my credit cards in a lot of different places because I, I don't know what their level of security is, right? Because then I don't have to deal with the headache of somebody stealing my information. Um, for individuals, I always make sure to have credit monitoring going on because even if they get their data, what they do with it is that, right? And and this kind of threat existed before. And you talk about industrial espionage, right? People walking away with your secrets and um, and or walking away with your most vital information um, is now translated into the digital world is what we now call cybersecurity, essentially, right? So that insider risk in, in companies, that's a big one. Um, but that existed always, right? It's the format that has changed. Um, those will be the few things um, that people... Um, are worried about and you know you go to davos and you hear the whole thing and what keeps up you know ceos up at night is cybersecurity because that has become a huge huge liability essentially um for companies right because it's it's reputational risk you lose your data you're done for um and especially if you're a key industry player you can big bring big systems down right you could work wreak havoc with exchanges you could wreak havoc with the power grids hospitals is a big one um we had the oh, boston yeah. hospital right i mean people's health will be affected we're all wearing our um wearable tech or medical devices even right now that they can be connected so there's a lot of different ways people can do it um those threats existed before in different forms they've just evolved and can become much easier to execute it's not necessarily that somebody else you know like a you know students <laughs> in college but that's the thing how can a college grad be able to come into your system he's obviously out thinking you so what's happening in this world is this imbalance of focus on threats and attacks and what do we really need to do to protect ourselves and what are we really losing right and so now like i have credit monitoring going on all the time and um, credit monitoring and even sort of this identity uh protection as well um i think i forget which one i use but um I get reports from them from time to time, right? You know, so making sure just to keep yourself protected is, is extremely important. And um, children and older parents, for sure. That's a yeah, I mean, job. I mean, if you think about it, technology and access to systems is kind of universal across the board. I mean, if you think yeah. about, like, even your car, your car yes. is a gigantic computer yes. on wheels. That's what it is yes. right now. It's no longer like mechanical parts. It's mm -hmm. more computer parts in that car yeah. than anything. And if you look at cars like Tesla, Yes, even more, you know, more, more than usual yeah. mechanical parts from 
Ford or GM or yeah. any of the other traditional and car companies. You're relying on that company to make sure nobody gets into your car and actually drives you off a cliff, right? So well, if they yeah, get... Or, or uh, I might have bad intentions and I may want yeah. to do that to damage a, a stock of like Ford or GM or something right. like that. And right. I, I do that by taking control of the computer's car and just causing a havoc across the board. Exactly. Exactly. You never know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I didn't, I don't, yeah, I prefer a stick shift, not a stick shift, but <laughs> <laughs> I grew up driving a stick shift, but yeah. You're not going to tell me you have a horse carriage, do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> I do. I do turn off a lot of the app, you know, notifications and data updates and stuff that goes on. I do them myself. Yeah. That one I'm pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> particular about. No, not a horse carriage, although it's fun. Well, when, when it uh, comes to, um, you know, the C-level executives in the organization, because yeah. every company is different. Sometimes the, those roles roll up to the CEO or president. Yeah. Sometimes there you have a CIO, you have a CTO, yeah. you have a, you said CISO, you know, CISO, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, those kind of roles. What is kind of their, what advice do you have for them to create, mm -hmm. to, to invest in proper uh, executive coaching to make sure yeah. that, the line of people who are coming up are getting trained to actually have that organization. Because in a technical organization, one of the challenges that I've seen, in my opinion, is that the expectation is, well, they're really good at what they do. Insert the term, programming, coding, mm -hmm. hacking, security, yeah. whatever, writing scripts, bash scripts, yeah. whatever, right? In, insert the thing into that. And then, but the problem is there's, I, I don't believe that there's any kind of responsibility around making sure that people are growing in other aspects also yes. not just technical skill set that the person yeah. probably is doing it in their basement and learning it on their own and getting yeah. ahead of it right but there's other softer skills and other skills that yes. maybe they're not getting that coaching yes so what do you think is is that responsibility or or how would you say not necessarily yeah. responsibility i don't want it to be a blame process here yes but what does yes. great look like from a leadership standpoint to invest in executive coaching you know, great question. Um, that is an aspect I cover a lot on the people side of cybersecurity, right? I, I, um, and it's not just executive coaching though; it's non-executive coaching also because the pipeline has to start early on. And rightfully, like you said, cybersecurity is seen as such a technical field in one direction. Um, all these personalities that have become concentrated in cybersecurity, right? So think about it. And I'm, I think in systems, I think in big pictures. So there's this concentration of personalities. Now cybersecurity's own position has elevated into the boardroom, right? So what could have been a techie person is going through this, you know, a tech management growth tra track is now suddenly in the people management space also. What people don't realize is all the, the curriculum, um, be it professional certifications, even college grade programs, unlike people in other areas, operations, MBA, they all go through rotational training programs. They're not like, they don't walk into a company, right? And learn everything. They do a one, two year rotation. That is absent in cybersecurity. So that is some of the things we actually bring up when we talk to clients about their talent, especially now that there's a talent war and they have to focus on retention and growth, right? From a diversity perspective, now having worked in the corporate workforce and having, you know, helping um, people getting to the CISO level and CISOs themselves, um, also board members, Brian also trains uh, corporate board members. But um, what we have noticed is they're also absent from those inclusion, belonging, um, diversity-like areas, right? The amount of people I see nominated from cybersecurity departments to, let's say, an emerging leader program or something to advance, you know, a particular ethnic group, maybe one cyber person out of everyone else. Why, right? To your point, they you get so siloed and they themselves are siloed. They are trained to be specialists. They're trained to put their blinders on and just look at that, Right. So the aspect of change management, which cybersecurity is a big aspect, and I'm speaking corporate. It's different when you know, it's it's a smaller business. It's a little bit different setup. But I'm thinking from a larger corporate environment, um, uh, it starts to play because it becomes a culture change, right? They, in what happens, it becomes a, a blame the end user game. You have to click on why did you click on this link, right? You're trying to train them on certain things. Don't click on this fish or don't don't fall for this phishing campaign or social engineering campaign. But the point is, the whole idea of zero trust strategies, 
my end user should be able to click on links all day long. It's our job as cybersecurity professionals to protect them. Now, the only thing you're training them for is this technical piece, which keeps changing, right? Technology keeps changing. We're not talking about cryptography blowing up, right, with quantum computing coming in. So that's going to be a major, you know, pain in the ass. And, um, and, 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 but then how do you teach these people? So now if, for example, if your company is in code red, much like Google is because of chat GPT, it's a survival <laughs> issue, right? Yeah, yeah. How would a cyber person show up there? As a business person, they're not trained to think like that, right? As a business strategist, as a CEO, you're trained to think about the future, right? There is a really cool book by C.K. Prahlad, I think, Competencies of the Future. Like, that's your mindset, right? They're trained for that. Cyber people are not. They're just trained to be in that space. And I think that's the biggest gap when it comes to leadership, right? They don't understand what it takes um, at that level to really contribute. And that's the piece, that's the gap I'm trying to close to say, A, the personalities are introverted. And B, what they're being asked to do is so unreal for them. They're not equipped even in training. Or ta- the trainings are very tactical, right? Come become a network security guy or do your CISSP, do your CISM, right? All these things. And then you become a manager. They're not talking about what does it take to go talk to a CEO when he's thinking about acquisitions, when he's thinking about certain other things, right? Expansion or reduction, efficiencies. How do you talk to a COO? those things really start to play out. And if you want to differentiate yourself, because you're going to be in the C-suite, right? You've got to think about that. So for me, circling back starts very early on. And I say, when you're at that first manager level, really start to get these you know, things getting in your head and start working towards it. Because like I said, every level, the game changes a little bit more. And uh because from a CISO, it's a very special role, like a CEO also, right? You hop companies then, right? You Unless you have the aspiration to become CEO and some other levels, there's, there's a different game there too. Then at the executive level, when they get, so for now what's going on is at the executive level, when they get coaching, it's more reactive. It's like, crap, I'm here now. <laughs> now what do I do? I have a 500 people team or now I have to show up for board meetings. And I have personally created materials, you know, growing up in, in the tech cybersecurity field some of that reporting does not make sense. Brian coaches board members on the other side about what are some good questions to ask cybersecurity leaders. And they're like, we don't understand the report they're talking about, that they're not at the same language that, you know, a PNL report would be, right? They're not trained to... It's, it's a technical like, report to them. It's, it's a like, technical report and they're not able Cleon. to explain. <laughs> they're not able to explain that, right? And then so the branding for cybersecurity people inside the corporation becomes you're the no-sayer and you're the people who thwart progress because you say no to everything, right? Going to cloud, putting bots in, going to, D, you know, D, DLP, stuff like that. Uh, not DLP, uh, distributed ledger. That's DLP's data loss prevention, my acronym. <laughs> But but um, that's where it starts to get tricky, right? And your branding is affected. And by the time you become an executive, it's too late. Then you're reacting. So it's that balance that they have to be. And that's the biggest gap where that rotational program, think about how much more a CISO would learn or an aspiring executive in cybersecurity if they really understood the breadth of it, the business savvy, the people savvy, and then the tech savvy. So I, I'd see it as a T. Does that make, yeah. Definitely. Wow, <laughs> we, this this episode has been really rich, and I need you to make it richer even. Yes. Uh, what is your number one hundred thousand mm. dollar expert insight and advice uh, for entrepreneurs, for others, uh, even professionals? Yeah. I would say who want to get into this world of cybersecurity or be- understand it better, right? What is that number one hundred thousand dollar expert insight? And hundred thousand dollar is just a reward; it's not a ransomware. So yeah. Yeah. Clarify. <laughs> yes. So the hundred thousand dollar insight that I actually have given somebody here, um, I will tell everyone to think about um, the problems in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity itself is a system of its own. If you look at it as a stoplight, right? The green is where all the focus and the drama and the noise is. That is around the threats and attacks. Oh, what's my next big thing that is coming on? Those are the most popular topics. Even if you look at like marketing stats, those are some of the topics that get most get read and you know go viral, all those things. The two things that people really miss out on, which I say is that makes cybersecurity a people problem, not a technology problem. That's the 100K insight in one go. So the red light is where the methods that are used in cybersecurity are, are 
inherently broken. That's the piece when you start to apply some design thinking principles, you will see that things that got ported on from other areas into cybersecurity in the corporate space um, are broken. So what they're using to create to protect the organization is inherently broken. And that's why people are in the amber light where they're being set up to fail. So they're either chasing threats and attacks or the next big technology, or they're being having to take use methods that don't work. And so when we see all the surveys in cybersecurity going on right now, burnout, stress, and personal risk, which is the CISOs today are really weighing the personal benefits of being in such a cool role, which is very, which is very cool in itself, right? It's, it's a really stimulating and impactful role to be versus what does this mean for my personal well-being and am I being hung out to dry, you know, with the liability that's increasing in cybersecurity? And how do you start to then look at it as a system, as a stoplight um, to start working? So that's that would be um, that would be a good place to start if you're new to cybersecurity and really start to think, look at it as if this was a people problem, how would we solve it? It's not the end users to blame. It's the way cybersecurity has evolved as a discipline. It didn't evolve as a medical discipline. It didn't evolve as an engineering discipline. It was kind of patchwork, right? That one single guy in the network security is suddenly now sitting with board in a boardroom. Um, and it's become so important, and yet it's not being um, addressed in the way it is. So the stoplight is 100K inside. Prachi, thank you for being on the show and sharing your journey with us and all of this like $100,000 plus uh, expert insights. Thank you. It was and, a pleasure. <laughs> and thank you, audience, for tuning in again. We have amazing and phenomenal guests as Prachi uh, joining us this season. So keep on tuning in and keep on absorbing all these incredible insights from all of these incredible guests and phenomenal guests that we have on the show. Thank you again. Until next time.